Advancements in Technology for Grow Lights, today on Small Business Talks. If growing plants indoors is a part of your business, you already know the importance of grow lighting to boost plant growth and yield. You also can appreciate the costs associated with indoor grow lights, both in capital investment as well as operating costs. What you may not know is the advancement in technology that can both improve plant growth and significantly reduce your costs. We recently had the opportunity to interview Jeff Nall, Technical Advisory Board Member for G-Grow Horticulture, about grow lights and innovations in the industry. Grow lights in general. Number one, it's about full spectrum because the spectrum is basically, uh, you know, the wavelengths ranging from everything from ultraviolet to infrared and wavelengths basically stimulate an enzyme that create growth, that's photosynthesis. But plants have two, actually have four growing cycles, but the two that are most affected by light is the uh, vegetative, vegetative or vegetative stage and the flowering stage. Right. Blue light affects it at the growing stage. Red light helps it more in the flowering stage. The big players in the market are the high high vote or uh, high pressure sodium. Um, I keep seeing a lot of fluorescent, but I don't know of anyone that actually uses fluorescent bulbs. Usually, That's usually you do see some fluorescent in the, the cloning stage, so where you don't need the intensity, but a, a full spectrum is is very good. So, a lot of time, you know, cloning stage where the plants are only a few inches tall or less where you're trying to create that, you know, germination. So they call them clone rooms where they're trying to get the, the, you know, the very small clippings to, to root a little bit before going into veg. So typically you'll see racks, very small racks, almost like vertical farming of fluorescence. And then the, the very small plants right underneath those. But it's very low light output comparatively, um, you know, to the to a grow light. Okay, excellent. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I found was that it seemed like there was the fluorescent, there's the high so high pressure sodium, which I equate to street lamps and industrial mm -hmm. lighting. That's what, yeah, they were invented for very that. high intensity. Uh, were used because that was sounds like that was the first big movement was many many years ago. And then it looks like everyone has switched to, then there's of course, HID, which is a variety of technologies. Um, I keep equating this to ceramic metal halide, but it's, I, I'm, I'm learning to even adapt the way I'm wording that. Right. Uh, LED are out there. The big problem they have is there's no standardization. So you don't really know what you're buying. There's no standard to say, this is made for grow lights. Right. Uh, as I did keyword research, I saw, can my patio LED rope lights grow? grow oh my gosh. And I'm like, Jeez. oh, <laughs> yeah, no. Really? Yeah. You, don't, you don't realize that when I do keyword research, I'm actually seeing what the market feels about things. You're actually seeing what, because that's what people are typing in. All my data is coming right back from what Google captures. Right. And I thought that was funny. So the big things I got out of it was, not very intense, more red than blue, uh, doesn't have the full spectrum, does not have UV or uh, infrared, 
And it sounds, although I can't, I didn't have anything I could confirm this. People keep there seems to be this battle that oh UV and, and, and infrared are, are evil and they'll they'll kill you and all that and it's like, but they actually are needed because the plant needs that because it provides information that oh you're in the sun you need to move oh you need to start producing this kind of thing and if you can control that you can actually increase uh, the right. capacity of the plant or what what function it's doing, and ultraviolet I work with a lot of water treatment companies. Ultraviolet is the greatest thing for getting rid of mold, getting rid of mildew, getting rid of certain diseases and bacteria, and and even yeah. pests and things like that. So, uh, the big the end point that I came to was that, and I tried to bring through in a lot of these is listen, there, there's a lot of technologies you're going to get very quickly overwhelmed with it. The best thing you want is something that can closely mimic the sun. That is broad spectrum intensity to be able to penetrate the canopy, um, you know, photosynthesis, um, red and blue light, having the different wavelengths, having the full spectrum, the UV and the infrared. Basically, all these technologies, they can all grow a plant, but they all have varying degrees of what they can do. G-Grow has really kind of changed this around because they have come up with using as the basis kind of the ceramic metal halide, which has a lot, you know, positive, you know, capabilities over other uh, methods. But in the actual unit itself, you've got two uh, lighting elements. Right. And from what I understand, it basically you have the blue and you have the red or you have something that can and maybe and that's why I need your help. <laughs> so, so we actually do have two lamps in each fixture. Uh, so the, the fixture is a 630 watt um, fixture. That's really two 315 watt um, lamps or bulbs that go inside of it. Uh, each of those um, ceramic metal halide lamps, and I call it lamp because traditionally in the lighting industry, it's not like a table lamp. But you you call the the bulb itself as the glass. The lamp is the the whole thing it's with exactly the tracking. Yeah, right. So. Um, we have two lamps in there. They are not independent of color. We do have two different um, color temperatures or different uh, slight variations in spectrum that can be used together, one of each if you, if you wish, but some growers wish to have the 3000K, some want the 4000K, which is slightly different spectrum, both full spectrums. But we do have two, two arc tubes in there. Each, each of the... Um, uh, lamps with the surround metal highlight arc tubes pulls out the full spectrum and each of the, the lamps is driven by an independent uh, patented, uh, we call it GHID ballast, but a high frequency ballast, which is unique in the industry for surround metal highlight. And it's, and with our patent, it's, it's amazingly efficient, 97% plus um, efficient um, in terms of converting the, you know the mains or the the high voltage that that's coming from the wall or the the panel into what the the um, the lamps need to to operate that that arc tube. So very efficient ballast. We're not really seeing um, because of that efficiency. We don't see a lot of heat generated from the ballast itself. The the energy is really being generated by the by the lamps. Um, to your earlier point about the different spectrums of technology, you know. You know, we have to think about it in terms of um, 
the evolution of lighting based on human terms because horticultural lighting has been around but not to the degree of research that it has in the last several years mostly because of cannabis because obviously we've as, as humans we've always had the sun to grow things right so indoor grows are very unique we've had greenhouses also for millennia, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, but that's still the sun. And we've had supplementary lighting um, over the years, but all of our spend in terms of the a lighting industry has been around human eye sensitivity curves, which our eyes see between 400, which is blue and 700, which is red. And the green is directly in the middle of 550. That human eye sensitivity, so what we see in terms of intensity of light is strongest in green, which also makes sense as that's what's reflected off of leaves. In the jungle, everything else we see really well in green spectrums. But all of our lighting has always evolved um, in terms of research and development to, to how do we optimize against our ability to see. The, the difference is, we don't see UV as humans. We don't see ultraviolet A, B, or C. And we also don't see far red really at all. We don't see infrared. We might feel it a little bit, but we don't see those spectrums. Um, and so the plants can use those spectrums, right? So, so that's a difference. And so when we think about a lot of even the efficacy metrics that are used you know, within the industry, they're still based on efficacy metrics, essentially, that we used for our own use about how bright is a parking lot or how bright is an office space and thinking through that. One of the, one of the metrics um, that's, that's present within the industry is, is trying to stop thinking that way and think about photons. And so quantification of, of micromoles. So um, you know, like a, a, taking a PAR meter and reading the intensity in terms of micromoles. <clears throat> it's really micromoles per meter per second. But it's an intensity metric of how many photons are hitting it. But because plants don't have a, a, a human eye sensitivity curve, sensitivity curve, so most meters that would measure in lumens, which is a human metric, are weighted so that they have the human eye sensitivity curve and can tell you what the brightness would be to humans, to get around that, the metric is for horticultures is micromoles. The unfortunate part of that is it treats all of, of photons as equally weighted in terms of if a photon hits the, hits the leaf, that's the same if it's a red or a blue in terms of the metric. The reality is, just as you were mentioning a little bit earlier in terms of the power of high energy ultraviolet to kill germs and and activate things blue photons are are they're blue to us right they're they're perceived as blue to us because our eyes understand that's a higher energy photon than a red so we we've developed that ability to see color because our eyes are sorting out the power level of the photons that are hitting our eye a plant actually can use all of that power spectrum. So the you know, plant doesn't see in blue and red, it, it sees in, in power coming in. And so you, you, uh, you know, the physicists think about photons in terms of electron volts. So wavelength, frequency, and, 
as with anything, if you have more power, you've got a, a, a faster vibration. Faster vibration is shorter wavelength. That's why we talk in terms of wavelength for photons. So a, a, a 400 nanometer wavelength is actually means it's a much shorter wavelength than a 700 meter, which is red. So the shorter wavelength are higher energy photons of blue versus the longer wavelength of red. Point there is that if you think about those in terms of actual power or energy stored in the photons, a blue is worth about 60% more power than a red. Photosynthesis, to your, to your earlier point in terms of how it's activated through um, uh, you know, enzymes and how they absorb the energy, that energy is absorbed in terms of electron volts. So the, the, what's happening with that metric is that we're, we're telling ourselves, I don't care what the color of the photon is, just get me as many photons as possible, which is why high pressure sodium works so well in terms of that metric, because it's really all orange. Um, but it's a heck of a lot of low power photons coming out. But if you have uh, a full spectrum, um, you know, uh, like a like a G gross CMH or ceramide halide, where we have the full spectrum all the way down to the UVA and B, all the way into the far red, what happens is that we are providing on a full spectrum basis about thirty percent more um, more electron volt power, more power to create photosynthesis than an equivalent power reading for a high pressure sodium lamp. Because the plants think in terms, not think, but you know, feel in terms and activate chemically in terms of electron volts or power. So you need fewer blue photons to activate photosynthesis than you do red. And the other part is that we, we tend to focus on the chlorophyll A and chlorophyll B uh, portions of, of the peaks in those spectrums, which we talk about in terms of red. So we often say, you know, red photons activate photosynthesis, but if you really look at the, the absorption curves of chlorophyll, particularly the main chlorophyll A and chlorophyll B, they have peaks both in blue and red. So by ignoring that portion of the spectrum, you're really not, you know, optimizing how you're getting that power, you know, to the to photosynthesis, to the to the leaf itself. So it's really interesting how we've we've kind of created some, um, I would call the myths, you know, within within our our own industry. I was going to ask you about that and say, what are some of the myths? If you're if you're to like, let's say I'm a new grower, and I'm going to yeah. come to you and say, uh, you know, what I've been told, I've been told, you know, don't use sodium vapor, don't use LED, don't use. What are what are the most common myths that you hear? That, that you that you're facing well a, a lot of it is related to par readings in the sense of um you know thinking about hey i want to get my grow to as, as high of a, a, an intensity level in par measurement as possible and again it's kind of a misnomer in terms of yes you want the intensity but a full spectrum will give you much more uh, opportunity to create photosynthesis as possible. And all of our metrics are really um, thinking about the photosynthetic, uh, it's the PAR, it really stands for photosynthetic active range. Um, 
essentially though pars is defined in the industry as 400 to 700 the reality is the photobiologically active range is much broader than that and there's another term that we don't talk about but there's a lot of research happening uh today uh with it it's called uh and these are long you know long term but uh photomorphogenous so photomorphogenesis <laughs> easy for you to say I mean, it's like <laughs> super long word. Yeah. So photosynthesis, photomorphogenesis. But point being, um, photosynthesis is used to activate sugars and growth and so forth in the plant. Photomorph, photo, let's say call it photomorphology, right, is related to triggers that you were expressing earlier as well. Plants can sense the level of infrared, the level of UV in the spectrum because it tells them things. Now, do they think? No, it's just built into some of the phytochromes and other things that are not related to chlorophylls that are other pigments that are absorbing other parts of the spectrum that create physical changes in the plants. If you add UV, the response for the plant is different. It's not photosynthesis. It's other aspects. So, so the, the point there, and we did, we've done side-by-side -side testings, um, testing of G-Grow, uh, halide, because of the full spectrum at 630 watts compared to a thousand watt double-ended high pressure sodium bulb, um, G-Grow has double the amount of UV A and B as a thousand watt high pressure sodium. Plus the advantage of having the UV A and B is, as you mentioned, earlier referred to is it's a great germicidal. The, the, the blue light is a great way to keep the, and UV is a great way to keep the, um, keep the plant healthy and, you know, keep down microbes, other things that really shouldn't be there. Um, and, and from that perspective, the, the, the whole spectrum is, is important because on high pressure sodium, uh, it, yes, it has a lot of reds, but it doesn't, it has very little blue and very, obviously it has a little UV, but not a lot. Now, LED on the other hand, um, has zero UV, zero far red, unless you, you have an LED system that is buying far red LEDs, which are relatively inefficient because LEDs were invented in 1962 so they're really relatively newer technology um, and until the 90s it was really only a very low level kind of indicator lamp type of aspect you know for panels and so forth to, to say hey things are things are on or off very low levels of illumination reds um, oranges that kind of thing and um, blue LEDs were actually invented in the mid 90s and commercialized, uh, you know, in the early 2000s. And, you know, so it's a very new, new technology. And white LED is based on always a blue LED dye with the phosphor covering over top that the, the phosphor absorbs the blue uh, photons. And, and it's called Stoke shift, but down converts into lower energy photons that kind of create and fill out a spectrum. 
all of that optimization, even since the 90s, the 2000s, 2010s, that's all based on and focused entirely on human vision. Again, that development for, for LED has always been how do we get the highest lumens per watt? A lot of folks in green, a lot. So again, far red and UV are relatively new developments in LED, which means those aspects of the spectrum for LED are um, not efficient yet. So you, you will see some um, LED systems that do have full spectrum that have introduced smaller quantities of UV um, output, UVA output LEDs, as well as far red. But it takes a tremendous amount of watts um, for them to generate those. And it's an order of magnitude less amount of UV than even high pressure sodium or particularly you know, surround metal halide puts out. So it, it, they're there, but they're not, they're not powerful enough to really make that much of a difference. And I think you just hit on the other thing I wanna ask is, is, as people are gonna to listen to the, to the podcast are gonna ask is, you know, what are some of the advantage of, of the G-Growth system over that? And I know just in, in my research of it, cost factors. Um, your product seems to be offering a nice alternative and let's talk about that. Let's talk about, yeah, no, oh, yeah. I think cost can be broken down into two areas is the initial, I'm buying the fixture lights and all the all the, the beginning part, but then there's also the, the, the long-term. And I don't, yep. do people understand how much it costs or do they get into it and then find out how much it costs? No, I think it's the latter, but it, it, you're right. So there's two, there's two costs. There's acquisition costs and, and lifetime costs. So, uh, or life cycle costs. So acquisition costs, um, and, you know, as I think one end of the one end of the the range, so to speak, in terms of grow lights is high pressure sodium. They've been around for decades. Um, the high pressure sodium fixtures, double ended, they can be anywhere from three hundred to five hundred dollars a piece. Um, a, a an LED fixture to put out somewhat equivalent um, light output or or par. You know, to a high pressure sodium or close, um, and covering like a four by four area, and often you see these fixtures kind of spread out with the LEDs and bars to be able to to cover a four foot by four foot area. Typically, those depending on the output and depending on what type of LEDs, um, you know, those are somewhere between seven hundred and fifty to twelve hundred dollars. Wow! So they can get they get fairly pricey. Um, and, and you are paying for performance. So it, it is, uh, you do see some differences there and it's not just brand, it's also construction, number of LEDs, efficiencies, all those aspects. Um, and so, and I think we see more and more entrance into the LED space um, in, in terms of design and really the layout. But those, those represent the, the two ends and actually in the middle is G-Grow because we are still utilizing um, you know, the, the same type of HID technology that the, the, the large quantities of, of fixtures have been you know, developed over time using ballasts and, and other uh, components. I, we have a specialized ceramic um, highlight lamp with, with a horticultural dose in it and our patented ballast 
and then we have our our fixture with our uh, highly reflective you know 95 percent plus reflective mirror reflector on the inside specifically designed for a five by five footprint but our uh, price point is literally in, bet in between the two so we're much more affordable acquisition cost than um, leds uh, but the the big takeaway too though is that at 630 watts, um, we're essentially the same savings you would see with LEDs as well. Meaning LEDs, these the, the LED systems that will cover those four by four areas are typically about 650 to 700 watts. So we are, you compared to GGRO, going with LED doesn't actually save you additional energy. Um, there, there is a, there is, also, uh, uh, you know, a thought within um, grows or growers, because the the LEDs compared to high pressure sodium are a big savings, um, and so are, so is G grow. But the thought with LED is, well, LEDs don't um, radiate infrared. There's no infrared content coming out of LEDs. So if they don't radiate infrared, they're they're better for your um, HVAC, or they're better for your air conditioning system, your loading on, on the room. So it saves you energy that way too, which they do. But watts are watts. So G-Grow um, does have some infrared, less infrared than high pressure sodium because we're much lower watts um, in full spectrum. But because the infrared is less, we can get closer to the plants than high pressure sodium but our wattage use within the rooms is the same as LED. So we provide, using a G-Grow fixture provides the same impact on the indoor grow in terms of reducing the energy um, that's being expended within, uh, within the grow room, which means you save energy in trying to take that out. So, so by the, 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 the root reason for having to do all of the, um, you know, air conditioning units for indoor grows is to take the heat out of the room that you're putting in with the lighting. And so by switching from, you know, the, the thousand watt HPS, which is effectively are 1100 watts each because you have the input losses as well. So thousand watt double-ended fixtures are really not a thousand watts. They're actually more like 1100. You replace those fixtures with a full spectrum um, G grow 630 watt fixture, you're getting all those, all the wattage savings on your energy bill. You're also taking um, wattage out of all of your air conditioning systems too. So, so we are kind of that hybrid in between the LED and the high pressure sodium. Uh, the other point about bringing up infrared is that it is a benefit of LEDs um, not to have any infrared uh, output that there's just not that that's just not part of their spectrum to have to have infrared, which is infrared is anything over 800 nanometers. Uh, HID does have that, but if you're a grower who's who's uh, had their setup done um, for for multiple grows, all set up around high pressure sodium, you have already you already have infrared in your grow and infrared does play a part in the spectrum just like it does in sunlight it helps dry out the leaves it actually raises the leaf temperature about three degrees celsius which activates more transpiration enhances photosynthesis 
there's other benefits of infrared just like it does in sunlight, right? So, so you already have that. What happens sometimes is, and it's very possible, growers will figure this out essentially. If they do LED only, it's possible to, you can, you can do this. You just have to adjust your watering because your transpiration rates change and your nutrients. So making the adjustment from HPS to LED is not simply a lighting change, it's a process change. Because plants, if you, if you change one of the, so related th three critical parts, water, lighting, and nutrients, you change one of those, you have to adjust the other ones. Um, and that can be costly sometimes for that changeover for growers if, if they don't get it correct. Um, the, the positive thing with changing to, to G-Gross or ML halide as compared to growing with HPS is if you're already set up with infrared in the grow, we, are, we also provide it as part of our system at a lower level, but it doesn't require as much change in terms of, of setting up the grow and your, and your own kind of grow cycles. Like, so yeah, if you were going to go from HPS over to like LED, you have a much more effect. There's a bigger effect. Bigger effect. Kind of, yeah. So you're kind of right in this nice position right between that. Yes, yeah, a change, but it's not as drastic. And it's not as drastic. That's a better word. Yeah. And, and yeah. It, it, you know, you're not going to cause much, you know, stress in the plant. It's not going to, it's not going to cause that much. It, it, it just seems like it, that, that thing is the best way of describing it is a hybrid because it is the latest technology. You've obviously taken something and you, you, you really advanced it to the point where it addresses the, um, the full spectrum. It addresses the UV. It addresses the, the uh, infrared. It addresses the cost. It addresses all these different things. One of the reasons I bring it up is as people listen to this, they want to hear, you know, you know, okay, this is great. And they hear bits and points. I'm pulling it around to what differentiates you. And I think you've already just said this is that more or less, it is this kind of best of both worlds. It's kind of this hybrid of the best of, of uh, high pressure sodium and the best of LED and getting rid of all the things that cause the other uh, issues with, with those technologies. Yep. I, I agree that the other, the other part um, that makes us, you know, different is again, the, the fixture is, is designed for horticulture. So a lot of times, um, you know, if you look at some of the, even some of the double-ended fixtures that are still being sold today, they were designed for warehouses and other, so trying to, trying to get really high angle light and light as large an area as possible. The g -Grow fixture was specifically designed to do a five by five area. Um, that's the typical spacing within a grow. We're not, we do not want to put any light on the walls. We don't want to put any light in the aisleways. We only want to put light on the canopy. And so that gets you higher application efficiency. Any photons that are hitting the walls or your aisles are wasted. They're just wasted energy. Um, and so, so that's, that's one aspect. Uh, design the fixture specifically for horticulture. The lamps that I've mentioned before, the Shroudman Halide, we, we have the doses there for that broad spectrum. Typical surround metal highlight lamps were, of course, designed for retail lighting, where you might be in a store and shopping. And again, trying to optimize the metal halide doses within there for the visible range with a little bit of bleed over into the, into the you know, far red and so forth. The, the G-Grow um, formulation has 
104% more far red than your standard surround halide um, lamp does. So we've optimized that distribution for horticulture, not for retail type lighting. Um, and then the other piece of that is the patented um, ballast technology. What's patented about it is that high frequency I spoke about before. Yeah. That high frequency, so, so typical surround metal halide um, uh, lamps or, or, or arc tubes are really turned off and on about 200 times per second, which to our eye looks lit, just like a TV is on and off 30 to 40 times a second, right? Our, our eyes are slow to adapt to that. So it, it, we don't see that blinking. We don't see the phase shift. We don't see that phase shift. That the, right. The, we the, 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 yeah. don't see the blinking. We don't see the blinking. Plants, uh, you know, their, their, um, their ability to absorb the electrons um, are, is much faster, you know, an absorption rate is much faster than our eyes. So, but the point is lamps are typically in surround metal halide relatively slow on and off. So that 200 for GGRO, we do at 130,000 times per second. So effectively that gives us a very nice efficiency boost because what's happening within the arc tube is you have cathodes or cathode and anode that's changing every, every cycle, but essentially we've got lightning in a bottle. Like we have an arc going across between those two and inside of the arc tube, that arc then is, is really traveling electron to electron, but as the electrons are changing valence shells and the in particular halides, they're emitting the photons, but because we're doing it so fast, that arc never extinguishes. It keeps going. And what happens is that extends the life of the lamp and gives us a much nicer energy boost because it's continuous flow of photons as opposed to the blinking. And every time that blink or that 200 cycles, the equipment or that lamp feels it because what happens is that the, the, it's called electron bombardment, but every time, 200 times a second, you're basically turning the lamp on and off. And to start on and off, the electrons have to arc across and they're hitting the cathodes back and forth 200 times a second. At 130,000 cycles, that flow just stays smooth and constant. And what happens is the, because the, the, the failure mode often in arc tubes is that what, you're, what happens is it almost like a wick on a candle that the cathode gets worn down to the point where it touches the, the ceramic or the, or the quartz of like a metal halide uh, or the ceramic of a HPS and then cracks it. And once the arc tube cracks, it's done. Yeah. With, with um, GGRO, the, we, we've done studies in past years. This, this technology, uh, patented technology was developed 10 years ago. We, the the GGRO was actually um, founded under uh, Genesis Global, developing this technology for high, um, high efficiency uh, street lighting and have adapted it to apply it to, to surround mount halide for, for horticulture. So it's a time and you know tested uh, advantage. But we get we get a boost out of light time, essentially double the lamp life of the the lower frequency um, operation, and we get a boost in efficiency, and we get higher halide activation. So we get fourteen percent more reds 
same if we take the same lamp and run it at, at 200 cycles versus 130,000, 14% more red activation because that is the sweet spot for the red halides. And so we see a nice boost in the spectrum there, which you know we were talking about earlier. That's a nice benefit for growers as well. So um, a lot of differentiation in, in the G-Grow approach and um, based on the technology. And we also see, I think, you know, if, if you conceptually think about, you know, or do you want to grow your plants under a blinking light or continuous flow? Of course, the sun is continuous. You know, it's, this is what the plant is used to, used to taking in. And of course, full spectrum is what the plant actually has, you know, been evolved to utilize all of those kind of mechanisms for the plant itself. And, and we've, we've optimized the far red content, as I, as I mentioned, right. helps trigger faster growth. We've been seeing in side-by-side, -side, um, you know, grow tests versus even regular CMH uh, or HPS, 30 to 40% faster growth rates with the full spectrum, with that additional far red, you know, than, than kind of standard lamps. So it, we see huge, um, it's, it's just the plant reacting to what it wants as opposed to what it's being given from other, other lighting sources. So we see huge advantage there. This is good because it sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm in the Pittsburgh area and with everything with COVID, we have a lot of empty office buildings. Yeah. Says, what are we going to do with all these office buildings? And I, I think uh, I was speaking to somebody and we also saw an article and it's talking about that a lot of these office buildings are actually could become indoor grow farms. Essentially, you know, they, they actually have the potential of doing that. So this is good timing. <laughs> right. And, and, I, and I do, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it, the, the potential for the indoor grows is there. The interesting part is that the limitation for indoor grows typically, and this is a learning over time, uh, for me is that the limitation is not really the in interior space. The limitation is how much power is available for the building. So office buildings traditionally do not have a lot of power infrastructure. And so again, another advantage of G-Grow is this is a way for you not to have line, you know, rows of 1100 watt HPS units. You get the productivity you know, out of a 630 watt fixture, which gives you more opportunity to have more canopy um, for the grow. And, and side by side grows versus with G Grow, same strain G Grow versus 1100 watt HPS, we see 66% more productivity per watt over HPS. So, it, and again, that just speaks to the, the productivity of full spectrum and being able to get the get you can get the production out at lower watts um the the other the other part that we hadn't talked about yet is that the, the g-grow fixture has um uh we call it solar ready but has a dc microgrid uh potential meaning it's ac we 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 run at commercial ac voltages but also will run on high voltage DC input, which is becoming more of a thought for, you know, architects and others who are doing solar on buildings. I was going to ask you about that, if, you know, the compatibility, because that, that was something that was kind of unique in that the G-Grow system is more for, it, it has that availability, 
I'm not hearing that about the other technologies. Now, is that is that because of the because of the way yours was designed and the ballast and all the things in that, or is it explain a little bit about yeah, it's, why, it's, how can you can do that and 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 other yeah, it, so that so the the G grow or you know the ballast design is um, a high frequency sinusoidal um, um, you know uh, uh, conversion process. So we 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 do have. Um, a bridge on the input side to take the AC and convert it to a high frequency um, DC output um, and then change that to the to the output for the um, lamp. But that is actually a, a very um, unique aspect because we do it very gently in the sense of we're optimizing the waveforms as we go. What that means, though, is that we have the capability to take that high voltage DC in, pass the rectifier into our power factor correction circuit, and just have it flow right right through to where we we want the the output to be of the of the ballast. Um, and it was also thoughtfully done in the sense of us thinking about well, we've been talking with renewable you know energy providers, others thinking about um, you know on-site battery storage how do you opt because because with indoor grows it is such an energy intensive process it really does have a lot of focus of it's an opportunity for renewables and how do you manage your draw from the grid it all it all relates to then how do we help um, be part of that process so, it's very simple for growers in the sense that it works on AC. If you have AC, that's fine. If you do want to upgrade in the future to have a DC microgrid where you have solar panels outside or on the roof that you can stack in terms of voltage to get high voltage DC coming in to your grow, you can literally wire that right into the fixtures as well and have them operate you know, in the same fashion too. So. It's it's still newer in the sense of you know building adoption and all those, but pretty much anyone who's who's building new buildings is really taking a close look at DC microgrids because of all the solar that's getting you know built in and energy storage. Meaning, um, interestingly, all the advancements with electric cars are really a big benefit to energy storage in buildings because it's the same batteries. It's the same approach. You can put a couple, um, you know, a couple of those of those, you know, vehicle batteries in a building and all of a sudden you can do your 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 demand shaping throughout the day so that at peak times you can you can reduce your overall energy spend because your tariff rates will be lower and all of those things are really incredible. Even there you know, the industry starting to make, and again, nothing related to horticulture, but the industry is starting to make um, trucks, like electric semis. The amount of batteries in those is incredible. Uh, the amount of energy storage, you literally um, could, you can run off of one storage um, battery for one of those, uh, the trucks. If you hooked it back into a building, you could run a 400,000 square foot building for about eight hours, you know, so yeah, so a lot of, a lot of capability there, but that's what's going to happen is that 
overall the industry will move to those type of solutions and you know the gigro fixture by being able to be compatible with dc is future proofed like when you want to do that type of upgrade you don't have to change out all of your lighting infrastructure to do it you can just add on when you're ready to do that so yeah that's excellent i mean that that you you, this has been a very interesting uh interview because i think this has really helped I think for, for especially growers that are listening, it's one of those things that let's get to the heart of things and let's take a look because as an outsider, you know, preparing for this, it's like, wow, there's like all these different things and there's, you know, so many different avenues and so many different things. It's like, it's great to be able to sit down and kind of like, kind of hash through all these different, you know, elements and kind of see, this is what really you need to look at. I mean, what I got out of this and I hope, I hope people that are listening get out of it is that, um, the sun affects us differently than a plant. So stop judging, stop judging lights by the way you look at them and think more like the way a plant would think uh, or, or react to it. Uh, It's, it's not so much, you know, basically it sounds like, you know, also the more you can mimic sunlight, sunlight seems to still be the best, you know, the best answer, but since we're doing indoor grow, we can't really bring the sun in. So find a light that does that. And then I think the whole idea of the hybrid being able to provide the full spectrum, the UV and all the elements and reduce the cost down. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing this is where it's not just one benefit, there's multiple benefits and that people should really do their homework and really, you know, really kind of dig into it to be able to see more of this information, you know, to be able to see that. So I think that that's a great thing. Is there anything else that you, that you advice that you would give to growers? Well, I think the other part is just encouraging, um, you know, folks to to try the fixtures. Um, we we've done, you know, our own you know comparative studies side by side. Almost all growers want to try something before they roll it out across our whole facility, but definitely worth trying because everyone we've interacted with who has done a test grow with our fixtures has been thrilled with it because it's 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 what the plants want. So if it saves you energy and it's what the plants want, you get productivity out of it. I think it's a good deal. No, it makes sense. If you make the plant happy, you're going to get productivity and you're going to get high yield and a lot of good things coming out of it. So that's great. Well, again, thank you very much for for being on the program today and and discussing this. I think it's been an excellent uh, conversation. Definitely a lot of information for people to, to, to kind of consider. Thanks, Neil. It was a great discussion. Appreciate it very much.